0: Champions of Psychology is meant as education and entertainment. It is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling. Discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. We assume no liability for the use of the information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your own best judgment.
1: Hello and welcome to Champions of Psychology, a show with the goal of openly talking about mental health and gaming presented by Codename Entertainment and TakeThis.org. Every Tuesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time here on Twitch.tv slash c Games or later on your favorite podcast service, Mitra Jordan and Rafael Bucamato, a.k.a. Dr. B, talk about mental health in these unprecedented times, as well as how gaming affects us. Uh, if you're here with us live in the chat, you can leave a question to I, Trevor Bettis, will ask them later in the show. Uh, our topic today is going to be rejection sensitivity, which is going to be so much fun. Also, I I wonder. I know I've said this before, but like, I wonder how long I n- I need to keep unprecedented times because we're now a year into the show, so like, <laughs> it's it's kind of getting precedented. Um, I think a precedent has been set. At I this think a precedent point. has been set. I might need to change up that dialogue. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but before we get to all of that, who are you for the fine folks who may not know?
2: Ah, well, I'm uh, Mitra Jordan. No long name reasons here. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Sorry, I couldn't resist. We're in season. If you know, you know. Anyway, I'm Mitra Jordan. (laughs) I'm a therapist working in Victoria, BC. Um, I work with all kinds of people, uh, often couples and families. I often end my end up finding myself discussing games and gaming, and um, sometimes the moral panic around video games and such Um, (laughs) and of course I enjoy games myself and so this is an area very close to my heart although rejection sensitivity itself is close to my heart Mm -hmm. we'll see what we'll see where we get to today. I managed to take up a lot of time there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and who is that with, with the glorious mane? The gl- oh. glorious which, mane which, which that I've been I... keeping tied back <laughs> for a while. I fe-
3: actually, no, it's weird. I feel like the, over the course of this show, we can go back to episode one and look at the evolution of the Medusa-like hair
1: that is on my head. <laughs> See, um, I'm still sad because when we did when we did the 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 test video before we started, you had you had a glorious beard going on. I'm like, all right, we got we got to give big me a week, going. I can grow it out. We, we, we got similar lengths now, but I'm still I'm still missing the bushy beard.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but hi, everybody. I'm uh,
3: Rafael Bocamazzo, better known as Dr. B for long Italian name reasons, um, not long Italian hair, as we <laughs> seem to be going with right now. But. Um, I am a clinical psychologist in Washington state. I am also the clinical director of what was the first mental health nonprofit to serve the game industry at the time of our formation in 2012, TakeThis.org. Yeah. Uh, make sure to go check out all the free resources we have, articles, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm also an expert on the applied use of tabletop RPGs, and I am happy to be here for season five. Season I'm five. busting out the tiara five. just for that. Yeah. Boom. Yeah yeah with the
2: with the hair yeah Yeah.
1: the tiara's made its earliest uh season appearance
2: ever i'm
3: just making it we're making it happen we're pulling it from the tiara pocket dimension
1: early (laughs) please insert that into your tabletop rpg worlds as necessary Uh, (laughs) i am the prettiest princess
2: definitely I will not challenge your crown, even though I do have a, a laurel wreath that.
1: that... You, ha- you will rival his crown. Oh, you're a winner. <laughs> I'm the princess. <laughs>
2: oh, boy. <laughs> And Aren't I think Princess is the winners. <laughs> we got I'm supposed
1: to keep things on track. Speaking of which.
2: Sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, mental health
1: show. Hey, <laughs> it's a mental health show. And yeah, we're gonna talk about rejection sensitivity, which is just so much darn fun, and everyone loves it. And there's absolutely uh. nothing to be worried about with it at all. Um, for people who uh. don't know what rejection sensitivity is, what is Lucky rejection you. sensitivity? Yeah, no, that is true. But oh, well, I'll actually, no, that may not be true. It may be you're about to have a realization. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah. Um.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, in a nutshell, rejection sensitivity is where we just we react more profoundly than expected to either to any perceptions of rejection, whether it's real rejection or uh or imagined rejection either we're
1: just the the name says it all we're really sensitive to perceived or real rejection imagine rejections is my emo cover band of imagined dragons
3: oh okay Mm. nice reframe after you didn't get that record contract
2: (laughs) 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 oh guys you are on the wit today
1: (laughs) Sorry, what were you going to say about rejection sensitivity? <laughs> um, but yeah, th- that's really it. The name says
3: it all. That a lot, a lot of us, um, a lot of us, with varying diagnoses. We're going to talk. We're going to get into this um, because, especially in the last couple years, re- something called rejection sensitivity dysphoria, which we will not, you, we don't use that term on this show for a reason, and we'll get into that. Um, that's been making rounds on like ADHD and autism TikTok and Twitter. Um, but rejection sensitivity is something that a lot of different diagnoses experience uh, for those of us who are autistic, for those of us with ADHD like symptoms, part of it has to do with we're, we, we don't regulate our emotions the same way or as well necessarily as other folks um, with a, a diagnosis like borderline personality disorder. It, there's There's symptoms of anxious preoccupation with real or imagined abandonment, and again, dismo- emotional dysregulation. with with social phobia, the, it's literally symptomatic of having anxiety or fear about perceived criticism or rejection in social situations. Um, with depression, we we often look for negative attributions w- about what people think about. It. It, there's it's not limited to ADHD or autism.
2: Absolutely, in fact, it occurs among marginalized folks as well, right? Where if you've experienced rejection or not the same level of service that other people get, you're going to start becoming vigilant about that, you're going to also start to try and figure out strategies to overcome it. And mm-hmm. that's no different in this case. So we can talk about it as kind of a vigilance to rejection as well, yeah. um, looking out for it, having an expectation of it. And that's right. based on actually experiencing it. Absolutely. And that's the difference right, between something that's just, I'm making it up, it's in my head versus something that, actually I've had a lot of life experience with, and therefore, of course, I'm going to be sensitive to the possibility of it.
3: And and this is not to say that anybody likes rejection, but what we're talking about in this case is being sensitized to it Mm -hmm. for often very logical reasons. I think there's some some research that exists about kids with ADHD, and um, I'm I'm not going to get the numbers exactly correct, but i'm going to give you an idea of what the research says that kids with adhd in school alone are corrected on average something like 12 more times each day which over the course of the research period that they did estimated to 5,000 more corrections about their behavior than their non-adhd counterparts in school alone and over years that builds up and i will say that from personal experience yeah, I can vividly
1: remember them.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, Not to mention just, the yeah. correction itself, but then the social response of those around you to mm-hmm. that correction, right? The other kids in the class, for sure. example, what you then experience at recess. So the correction, everything that goes along with it, sort of multiplies uh, or has an additive aspect to the experience, a negative effect. Yeah.
3: Well, and I mean, not to mention the the, the internalized self loathing that can occur with all of that stuff. That, um, and I know I talked this I, I talked about this earlier on in like in the Autism AMA episode way back in season two, way back in season two, way back.
2: Wow. Um,
3: <laughs> so it, it, it that over time, when this happens enough, and this really does happen, that we're A lot of us with ADHD, with autism are are literally told repeatedly over and over and over and over and over over again that we're getting it wrong. We're getting it wrong. You're doing it wrong. And we can come to expect that, that we go into situations, and I certainly do, I'm constantly anxious about getting it wrong. And is this going to be that time that I hear about it three months later that I got it wrong enough that it, it lingered as a resentment mm-hmm. towards somebody. And is mm-hmm. it my fault? Of course, it's always my fault, because I'm the one who gets it wrong all the time. And those are the messages that get built up over the years.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, after a while, It means you start, uh, you stop trying and maybe you uh, stop taking risks. And, you know, we had an episode about play quite a while ago, but we talked about how if you want to experiment or be playful or learn something, you have to be in, you have to be feeling safe. Right. You have to be feeling like you're somewhere you can make mistakes. And now, if you look at the experience of someone who gets a lot of correction at school, um, gets made fun of, how safe do you think they can be feeling and how effectively do you think they can be learning?
3: Well, especially, right? and uh, I, I know we've used this metaphor before, but if, if we think of our brain like a computer, and now 25% of our active resources are being taken up by scanning the environment for d- perceived danger or perceived um, perceived rejection or anything like that. Yeah. How effective are we going to be in, in any other situation when we've got so many of those resources allocated at any one time?
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, I can personally attest to the fact that I used to totally tune out in school and we had these sorry, desks- what? <laughs> and we had these gotcha desks the, where you yeah. kind of lifted up the front of the desk, right? And half mm-hmm. the class, I'd have the front of the desk up like this, and I'd be reading comics or something, you know, <laughs> and I would just tune out completely, or I'd be off, you know, somewhere else. I would just yeah. not be pressed. It seemed safer. I'm not saying it was great. Obviously, I wasn't learning anything, but it certainly seemed a lot safer than taking the risk of trying and failing, or being told I wasn't good enough, or that you know I couldn't, uh, you know, obviously I wasn't getting it right, or I should try harder. This was one that came up frequently in reports. You know, and not, does not apply herself, needs to try harder, that kind of thing.
1: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. I, I uh, the 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 excuse of no, I'm reading my Pokemon cards. I'm not just looking at them. Only went so far in fifth grade. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so the it. it... <sighs>
3: I think I'll, you know. I I'll speak for myself here. Mm-hmm. I retreated into things that I felt empowering mm-hmm. because I felt I, I felt so disempowered when it came to to my school experience, when it, um, especially being undiagnosed on the spectrum. I mean, nobody knew what to, what to do with it. Um, I retreated into things that made me feel empowered, and for me, that was video games. I was good at video games i was real good at video games <laughs> and that that alone it, i i don't know it became it became for me it became this sort of cycle of not wanting to take chances socially because i became to anticipate i would be screwing up
0: yeah,
1: yeah. The, and actually, I, so yeah. someone just put one in the chat who, who is this uh 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 also hearing that quote, "You have so much potential." Oh, oh god. man! god! Oh, I, hate man. Hate I that
2: hated one. that. I hated that uh, so much. Yeah. yeah.
3: Okay, let's roll up the sleeves. Fight now!
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah oh. no, the, the 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 retreating into things that make you feel comfortable or powerful. I mean, like, legitimately, the way that I got into writing was because. Um, I was assigned something and I was like, I don't understand how to do this. I don't want to do this. And then realizing that I could bypass that and just write a short story. Essentially essentially what the the one was is in seventh grade. It was you were doing, you know, the spelling test and stuff. They're like, oh, you have to use all the spelling words in a story. And I didn't know what to do. So I just started writing fantasy and just finding weird ways to plug those words in and i ended up really loving it and discovering that i enjoyed doing that i got told i was wrong about it though <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because of course i finally wrote something that was more than 3 paragraphs long and they went you didn't you don't write that much
2: Oh, well, you really can't win in some situations, (laughs) can you? It's so awful. I finally got into
1: reading after them telling me that you have Uh, a second grade reading level for like, you know, seven years. And uh, then they told me you're reading too much. (laughs) Yeah, which then uh, then again, just made just kicked up the rejection sensitivity and and just made me go, okay, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, I'm doing it wrong no matter what way I do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, Don't that, play that...
3: sports with the other kids. Oh, wait, you're doing that wrong too. Oh, God. Last to be picked sports. every
2: time. Don't yep. even What's up? Start... Hey.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Can but... we all be like the last picked club? Heck yeah. Definitely. Last yes. Right club. yes. That's what we are. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Collectively, the last picked club. All right. I <laughs> love it.
2: I love it. It's, it's kind of like, actually, I do remember thinking that I was part of the out group and we were so out we were great and we were so out we were in and I really didn't give a, you know, two hoots about what what's her name was doing. There was a what's her name and she was generally super condescending. You know, there's always a bit of a queen bee, particularly among mm-hmm. girls in high school. Oh, I thought yeah. that
3: was cheerleader and not what's her name.
2: No, I'm calling it what's her name. We didn't have oh, okay. cheerleaders oh, in my school. Multiple... Oh, so we had multiple oh yeah yeah no but what about so
3: and so yeah
0: them
2: too <laughs> them too or oh, there was this kid who always interrupted in history class and the teacher never told him up told him off but you know i put up my hand. you know mm. and uh, so that so you know when we talk about rejection sensitivity we can talk about that too it's which is the the different way in which um Figures of authority usually teachers, educators respond to you, and pointing at me versus him or mm-hmm. her, right? Because it felt like when other people had a point to make or when they took a risk, um, it worked out. But yeah. when I did, it didn't. Yep. And so that really underscores again that why should I try? You know, yep. none of you all get me. Why should I
3: right. make yep. an effort? Yeah. I, I, I remember even saying
1: that to some people oh, on yeah. multiple occasions. Fun that... fact, that's how I figured out my grandfather had ADHD. As <laughs> <laughs> so I thought of it, I was just like, oh man, he totally had rejection sensitivity. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I remember
3: actually saying to people, okay, so now let's break this down for me here, okay? Um, one of those people may have been my ex-wife. We're not, we'll get into it. <laughs>
1: but (laughs) may or may not so so no names here okay
3: i'm gonna get yelled at one way or the (laughs) other here i you're gonna i'm gonna be told i'm doing it wrong one way or the other in situation one i put in a lot of effort and i still get it wrong yep in situation two i kick back and play video games and still get it wrong but
1: i put in less effort oh yeah That was my senior year experience. (laughs) The latter was my senior year experience.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, I I, I do want to bring up real quick because, you know, there might be some people who are watching this that aren't familiar with uh, things that we're talking about. And you're like, you just sound like you're overly sensitive and like... Well, I mean, is, yeah, we are overly sensitive. I, that's what we're saying. Yeah, and and that's and that's what we're going to get into is the um, the emotional dysregulation of it. Because I, I, I almost yeah. brought that up, and I realized in our notes we've got that coming up uh, in a bit. I just wanted to say we are going to cover that, so it's not just going to be us being like stupid teachers that we hated in high school.
2: <laughs> it feels pretty good, but it does true. feel pretty good. We do have more to say than this. No, we
3: can gripe. We can oh, definitely yeah. gripe.
2: Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well, uh, this is
3: something we've all all three of us have experienced. Yeah,
2: yeah,
3: yep. you know you two have adhd i'm autistic this is something we've all experienced our powers combined we are weird
2: (laughs) sure i'll go with that i quite like it i mean says the man wearing a tiara i mean yes yes can i
1: help you (laughs) what so so i think
2: that's all i have to say sir sir it looks fantastic
1: I think now is a good time to talk to, to move into the next thing we talk about, which was the, the term rejection sensitivity dysphoria.
0: Mm.
2: Boo! <laughs> All right, take it away, Tiana. Now, now
1: I, I, I do want to preface this with if you have been saying rejection sensitivity dysphoria, don't beat yourself up about it because there is some irony in the fact that there is a term for a thing that yeah. means that you get sensitive about rejection and then there's a wrong thing for it, it, it the irony is thick in it but don't worry it's fine <laughs> it's well and okay so how do part of the reason i
3: i think i've been personally hesitant to talk about this publicly is because it this is such a validating term that to so many of our experiences because those of us who have executive functioning challenges, we literally cannot regulate our emotions the same way as other people. So rejection sensitivity dysphoria is a term created by a psychiatrist named William Dodson, who's an ADHD researcher. The problem with this term is there's no research on this term. Okay. That's a big problem. There there are no peer-reviewed studies on this term. And some of his original claims Mm -hmm. that this is something that's experienced that um, this is experienced in a way uh, unique to those with ADHD doesn't hold up to the other research on rejection sensitivity as something that's experienced by a variety of diagnoses. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, it, 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 I do not use the term rejection sensitivity dysphoria because one, it's not unique to ADHD or autism. Two, it's not a separate diagnosis. Nor is it, we don't, at least there, there's, there's just no research on it. And even the, the, he wrote two articles for Attitude, ADD, Etude magazine, and even the WebMD article on rejection sensitivity dysphoria, which also lists medications used to treat rejection sensitivity dysphoria, which there's no research on those medications either, by the way. Um, it, it, hmm I, I, I think it perpetuates bad information, but that doesn't help us because this is a thing and we're getting bad information. Yeah, I grumble. Grumble.
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: But it, we gravitate towards it because it's one, it's official sounding. It's incredibly validating it's so incredibly validating because rejection sensitivity really is a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and also, and I've said this before, our industry does not do a good job of educating people on that which we diagnose them with. I've lost count of how many people I've worked with who I'm like, well, you know about your diagnosis. And they're like, no, I don't, no one's ever told me.
2: Yeah, absolutely, often often with my clients, no one's ever explained exactly what the diagnosis means or put it in a context which is relevant to that particular individual's life. Because even if you have a sense about what a diagnosis means, you don't always know what that diagnosis means for you mm-hmm. in your context. Yeah. And, and, and really, a diagnosis is quite quite broad because um, the way we and the diagnosis and our life interacts together is going to be quite specific, so
1: yeah. The the uh, I mean I, I think I've said it on here before, but like watching Jessica's videos on how to ADHD, like I did have a couple breakdowns here and there because I had been trying so hard to correct things, Na- and rejection sensitivity came into it where I was just like, okay, I I need to you know you know, be better about this stuff, not take it so personally and everything and, you know, get my emotions under control. And then to learn that, no, you, ha- uh, you have rejection sensitivity because of emotional dysregulation. And that's just how your brain is. Sucks to learn. And right. being like, I've been trying so hard for this and I've been punching a brick wall and not noticing it. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that, that was one of several things that, came up during watching her videos that was just like oh well i thought i could get better at that or you know quote unquote outgrow that um but no that's just who i am and like i'm better about now but in the moment whoo no not fun
2: right so if we look at if we look at exactly what you shared there around your experience um of feeling Like, A, you weren't alone, and B, this wasn't a problem located within you as much as it was a problem you had to deal with, which is to say, of course, if I have ADHD, it's located in me in the sense that I'm the one having it. But if we look at sort of rejection sensitivity dysphoria, so what that's doing is it's taking that word, which is um, profound depression, unhappiness, whatever. In other words, I'm super unhappy about my rejection and... sensitivity uh, that I've now got to it. It's because of the rejection I've experienced. Great. But it's still located within me. It basically implies that the unhappiness I'm feeling is something that is my responsibility and is something that I need to change. In other words, I should do some kind of reframe. The reality is if in my experience, I have There's been a lot of rejection. There's been a lot of correction in school. There's been educators who haven't either, A, understood what's going on or B, assumed I cared, which initially, of course I did, you know? Um, So there wasn't the support. It's not in my head. It's part of my life experience. It isn't just located within me. It's actually systemic.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: How people with ADHD and ASD are treated
3: is a systemic problem. Yup. Well, and that's, this is something I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand. Why we may have difficulty regulating Mm -hmm. our emotions around topics of rejection, there's a reason we came to expect it. Mm Yep. That we... I heard somebody say this to me one time, and I don't know if there's research on this, but it, this is one of those things that was so validating to my own experiences that I'm like, hmm, that makes sense. <laughs> um, somebody hypothesized to me at one point that the reason so many of us on the autism spectrum get so good at pointing out the flaws in other things and being so, quote, negative is because we have been trained our entire lives to constantly scrutinize our own behavior for perceived imperfections hmm. from neurotypical yeah. standards
2: so we see them hmm. everywhere if in yeah. that instance so it doesn't
3: right? it doesn't it doesn't stop with us we see it in everything else too
2: hmm.
3: now again i don't that's pure speculation on yeah. their part yeah. but yeah. it felt very validating that's to me point, because that though. is my experience yeah yeah that is an interesting yeah. one.
2: If you're trained to look for something because of your experience and it's helped protect you because you've looked for it in terms of making mistakes, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
2: sure you're going to notice mistakes in others and in other things, in other situations. Yeah.
3: So, yeah, no, we're getting, mm-hmm. we're getting really real on this show.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, I can really I, I, you know, thinking about that, it's interesting because I feel like I certainly leaned on my strengths. I learned to read very young. I was reading by the age of four, so su- clearly that all worked. Um, I really struggled with numbers. I still struggle with numeracy now. Um, you know, Anything tedious or that I perceive as difficult, I have to really get myself into a state to, to do that. Filling out forms, such a joy. Anyway, you get the idea where I'm going with this is that I leaned heavily on my strengths and in those areas that I felt I could control and do well, I got really, really perfectionist, Um, which did not suit me well at all when I got to university because it's like every single project, every single paper I had to do, I put so much pressure on myself. And of course, Getting into university or kind of, shall we say, a new learning path after having such a mixed experience with school where some classes doing so well, teachers really, you know, you're great. And of course, others like math and many other geography and history, I thought were super tedious, so I didn't fall in love with them till later. But my point is, I put so much pressure on myself and I also didn't trust myself to be a good student.
0: And oh, the combination God,
2: yeah. of that in a new environment made it very, very difficult because it felt like everything I was doing, in the states were high. Yep. Getting back for a second to that idea of being able to explore and play as a path towards learning, we can see how that wasn't happening. So,
0: well, yeah. in-
3: Mitra, you're getting into something that I I know a lot of folks with both with ADHD and with and who are autistic have expressed to me personally, as well, you know, clinically, this idea of perfectionistic anxiety,
0: Mm -hmm. that it's either
3: perfect, or I'm broken.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
3: And either I get it all right, or I will be rejected. Yeah. And there's really no in between. And so again, the the sort of operating state becomes one of constant anxiety. And I'm going to call myself out. I'm I'm constantly on edge for that. I've mentioned mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. on the show that anytime I'm interacting with another person in any capacity regardless of who this is, there's this little part of my brain that's like, don't screw this up. Don't screw this up. Don't mm-hmm, screw this mm-hmm. up. Don't screw
1: this up. And it's Oh, God, it erodes at your soul. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I will say, uh, I just want to say this, and it's mainly for uh, fun, uh, before we take our little quick break for a disclaimer. I I did appreciate uh, later on in school when uh, teachers would reject me in ways that made me just want to go, Oh well, F you I'm gonna do this better <laughs> like uh, I, I specifically remember in college I had an English teacher who read the, uh, the the first writing assignment that I did and she looked at me and she was like, you're a writer, aren't you And I was like, yeah, she goes, I don't like you she what? didn't she didn't want writers in her class because she didn't like the way that they treated writing and I was just like, oh, you just you just made a challenge. <laughs> guess, who's gonna an, guess who's gonna get an A on every freaking paper now because of you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, was this an English class? It was. What? Yeah, yeah, it was fun. But, uh, but yeah, so we are going (laughs) to, sorry, I linked the chat real quick. Uh, yeah, we're going to take a quick break to remind our viewers and listeners of our disclaimer, but we will be right back with more conversation about rejection sensitivity.
0: Champions of psychology is meant as education and entertainment. It is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. We assume no liability for the use of the information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your own best judgment. Alright. Oh
1: yeah hello mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, i did i did want to say real quick because i saw people put in the chat like oh the teacher played you or like uh oh, you know that's not a great teacher i left the class suit afterwards because it got worse from there
2: <laughs> oh god yeah. i don't
1: think they and i don't think that they stuck around as a teacher very long after that either wonder why um so um the next step that we got on our notes is why and i know that we've talked here and there throughout the episode as to why but what what specifically did you all want to talk about here
3: why i mean we've already talked about how we uh, so many of us are essentially uh, taught that this is going to be a consistent pattern of behavior especially if we deviate from perceived social norms for whatever reason whether it's Mm -hmm. we come from a different culture we're autistic we've got adhd um we're corrected all Mm -hmm. the time Mm mm-hmm and we learn that we're going to be corrected all the time.
2: Yeah. And that in some way we don't belong. In some way we're not the norm. And this also prevents that sense of safety.
1: Wait, are you that saying that feeling... that's why when I sent, send something over for approval, I go, let me know what's wrong with it?
2: <laughs> yeah, you're almost, you're really preempting your criticism. You're sort of setting expectation for yourself as well. Oh, uh, right?
1: wow. Just learned something about myself again. Ooh, there we go and it yeah.
3: it's yeah there's a, there's all sorts of cognitive appraisals we can learn in the process of this and that's that's the thing there's no there's no one why for any of this stuff
2: mm-hmm.
3: and there's no one way it affects anybody um, despite the fact that we will will perseverate on and in many cases overreact to a little itty bitty thing
0: mhm
2: mhm
3: but there's no one, there's no one cause. There's all sorts of causes, and so many of them make sense.
2: Yeah, I think once we start to dismantle um, those barriers and reasons, it can become better. And I actually will mention. So just for a second there, when we were on our break, I, I was talking about a university prof I'd gone to see. And this was someone in a third year course. I'd been taking this course, I loved his course. I was having a lot of trouble. Um, getting the essays done. Partly because, again, there was some pressure because I really valued his opinion and I thought he was uh, fabulous. Um, And so I was in his office probably asking for an extension and he looked at me and he said, you know what, I see how well you do in class. You say some brilliant things. What is it that's getting in the way for you? And I just thought that question, like initially I was like, nobody's ever asked me that. Nobody has ever assumed I wanted to do well and that there was a barrier. They just assumed I wasn't doing well or that somehow I should be better or that I should pay better attention or, you know, you have potential. But nobody said, hey, if you've got potential, what's preventing you from achieving it? So, That's a question I often ask parents to ask their kids, no matter what's going on, like, okay, if you're having trouble sitting still, what's getting in the way? If there's a problem with bringing your dishes in from the kitchen, what's going on? (laughs) Like, just assume that they want to do well, whatever it is, and then look at what's interfering with that. Mm. Anyway, yeah, Mm -hmm. really changed how I saw the world and myself Mm -hmm. and, you know, anyway. Well, and it's
3: this kind of this also kind of gets into some some of the common strategies that are used to approach concepts of rejection sensitivity. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is essentially having these corrective experiences by people who appreciate the complexity of us while mm-hmm. asking about a component. and essentially separating out a behavior from us as a person, like, hey, I noticed that this is getting in the way for something, but you're so, you have so many strengths in all of these areas. How can we merge the two?
2: Yeah. Cause we don't want those strengths to feel like pressure. We want those strengths to feel like resources.
3: Exactly. And that's, that's a big difference between, cause I, 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 I don't want to speak for too many people, but I think a lot of us um, I'm going to, anyway, I, I think a lot of us who experience this extreme sensitivity, even perseveration for days or weeks Mm. about slights, social rejections. We have a hard time separating out situation from the person us. It's not that we were rejected in a situation. It's we as a person were rejected. And that's really common.
2: Yeah. And when things is particularly when things happen during your formative years, as a child, you don't really have a strong sense of you as a person. So there's just, you know, you as, you know, in a situation, you just have a teacher who doesn't like you. You have a teacher who just doesn't think you're good enough. And in our life, we often still return to that sense uh, not because of the teacher, but because as humans, until we start to parse things out, we do take things personally. So we might constantly feel like we're not good enough for our spouse. So we're not good enough for our boss. And until we start to break down what's going on, you know, for us and in that situation, it's hard to separate those things. It's a natural human tendency. Well,
3: there's... A- there's a lot of trust that comes along with it. I, we, I mean, we've, mm-hmm. we've now talked about Jessica McCabe had ADHD a couple of times, but I, I'm just going to straight up say this. Um, so Jessica and I work together very closely and she is the best creative collaborator I have ever had because there's a lot of trust there that mm-hmm. if she if I'm writing something and she says that doesn't work, I have enough trust in her to know she thinks well of me as a person and she's not rejecting me. She's saying... I know you can do better. Let's make it better. That thing just didn't work. And that differentiation and having enough safety there and enough trust that makes a huge difference. Massive. Yeah. Because it's not her rejecting me. It's her rejecting an idea because she believes in me and vice versa.
2: Right. Exactly. That's the level of trust at which we can do really good creative work. And all good work is creative work in a sense. Absolutely. Okay, maybe not cleaning the bathroom. Like, what can I tell you? But, I you will know. tell
3: you from personal experience, you can get creative with cleaning the bathroom.
2: Okay.
1: And clean. on that note... <laughs> um, I I do want to, uh, you know, we we got a couple of questions. Uh, remember you can drop a question in the chat and our awesome Mod Mars will grab them, put it into a text doc, uh, so that I can read them off later. Uh, but before we get to that, I did want to give some time to common strategies.
2: Yeah. Good idea. Thanks for keeping us on track. (laughs) Yeah. Common strategies. Okay. You well, have, we mentioned we mentioned
3: cor- having corrective experiences essentially, because uh, for a lot of us who experience this rejection sensitivity, it's because we've we've really built up enough memories, and um, we we we've built up enough memories and experiences of rejection that that's what we can draw from. That's what comes to mind immediately, and so essentially, it, essentially, if we are able to put ourselves in situations where we're we see acceptance over and over and over and over and over again. For me anyway, that helped a lot. You know. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. You know, and it comes back to either those teachers who have faith in us or as an adult, finding those people who we do trust and feel comfortable with, or doing small projects to check it out with other people, or trying a creative process and seeing how it, uh, it feels. Um, you know, if we can be received and there's enthusiasm and warmth there, that helps us also accept ourselves because that's the path to self-acceptance is to lay off, you know, the judgment and move into a sense of play with what we're doing and just try things. And then, and also to start to recognize what are the things that we find difficult and how can we get supports in order to cope with them. Because of course, some difficult things like taxes just have to be done. And finding supports or working together with someone or just working in the same room with someone. We've talked about this, mm-hmm. the body doubling mm-hmm. um, that you've mentioned that Jessica's done a video about that, I think. She? Um She's done something where she talks oh, okay. about- uh, Sorry. so many. <laughs> I <seem to> remember <laughs> well I, I seem to remember that one and the idea is that uh, if you're doing a tedious task it's not that someone has to share the task with you. it's just that if they're in the same space working on their thing um, then it can be a lot easier for you to just focus on yours right mm-hmm. and and you certainly I remember when you were studying for your exams you'd do a stream where you studied and other people could join in and watch right and study along. there's something's coming to me.
3: Oh god. Ah! <laughs> i
2: don't
3: want to think about
2: those. Okay, you don't want to think about those. Oh, Great cuz but uh I certainly remember studying with other people or just writing papers in the same room with someone yeah. else. Um, and also think about when you take breaks, when you're doing something that's tedious or lengthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's partly and the way I would do that is don't take a break right in the middle of something. Take a break when you get to a natural end point with something, uh, yes. the end of a, of, a, of a paragraph or the end of a chapter if you're writing something. Um, or the end of a month if you're doing your accounts or something. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say this is it's way easier next time you come into it if you are forgetful or, like me, have ADHD. These strategies sometimes can help us take care of ourselves, mm-hmm. and that's why I'm sharing them. So there, it, it's not just rejection from other people, but sometimes it's a why am I like this and a self rejection narrative that also takes over. So we wanna <clears throat> undercut that as much as possible because one way through this is being able to better accept ourselves and go, okay, this is where I'm at. What te- steps can I take to make things better? And who can I call on for help and support through this?
3: So to, to kind of add to that, there I, I have two thoughts um one if you you know a, as always if you feel like this applies to you that this is something you struggle with and it affects your life greatly talk to a mental health professional if you can because there can be a lot of different reasons for it we can't diagnose we can't tell you what's going to work for you they're going to help get to the underlying what's going on here
1: I and there's a jump lot in of different quick, reasons then. it can happen uh, because you know, I try to save the questions for later, but there is a question that is very relevant to this and comes from Garwar. Uh, question: if Today's topic resonates with us. What should we be saying to our therapists to make sure it is addressed? I mean, if it's me, um, mm-hmm. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna straight up say
3: that I struggle with per- with rejection. I struggle with perceived rejection, um, whether it's real or whether it's imagined, it's something that I struggle with and it greatly affects my life. And I want to change something about that and figure out what's yeah. going on here. I, I mean, that's how I'd bring it up.
2: Yeah. I mean, I would talk a little bit, and I'm sure your therapist will ask about your history with this, um, your experience growing up a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. what kinds of thought process did you internalize mm-hmm. around your own capacity to do whatever it is um, that, you, that you're that you experiencing, this sense of rejection around, where did it start? Um, and then they'll help tease that apart and help you figure out what tools to put in place that will make coping on the day-to-day easier. They'll help you figure out who your allies are, um, and they'll help you counter some of that negative self-talk that comes up. Um, because I think when we, uh, especially if we struggle and it's like, tasks, or it's like, I'm not good at, you know, those kinds of messages, you want to have some kind of response for that side of you, Mm -hmm. where you can say, okay, yeah, it's true, I struggle with X, but I've always been good at Y, or yeah, okay, but do those things define me, Mm -hmm. right? Because they're part of me, they're not all of me. So you want to be able to have some responses for yourself, because otherwise, we can kind of get into a negative spiral. Yeah and so you know your therapist will help you figure out what your tools might be or what your self-talk might be or who your supports are who you might call or go for coffee with or you know Mm -hmm. any of those things at that time who you could reach out to
1: yep yep Mm -hmm. um yeah just gonna pass it over to other questions. Do you got anything else you want to put there?
3: Well, and this is this is something that I, I, my second point that I was gonna make is something that I think speaks to a couple of the questions here, at least in my own experiences. Um, one of the most corrective experiences I ever had actually had to do with a the former theatrical choreographer I I used to work with because I used to do community musicals and that sort of stuff. Um, probably shocking no one. Um, <laughs> the uh, and one of the things she said, that just stuck with me when we were getting discouraged about her being really nitpicky about our choreography was no, 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 gang. I know this feels discouraging because I'm getting really nitpicky, but let me tell you, this is a good thing because if I have the luxury of getting nitpicky right now, it means you're doing all the big things, right? Mm, we're yeah. tweaking, not overhauling. Yeah. And that yeah. means you're doing great. Yeah. And that in and of
1: itself was such a monumental yep. experience for me.
2: Perspective yeah. and reframing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, absolutely.
1: And and I mean, that really does fall into what we've talked about with ADHD and ASD of, of like not being able to pick up on those subtext things that apparently everybody else gets. I don't understand. What are you talking about? What's um. a subtext? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I want, I want to pass over to chat real quick because uh, we, we are getting low on time. We got show coming up directly after us. Uh, first one that I want to really quickly, lurking writer, quick question. Is uh, rejection sensitivity is something that can be identified at an early age, say before 10 or so? Uh, or is it uh, identifiable if symptoms uh, still persist at a certain age? I will tell you this. Uh, here's a fun story from when I was eight. I found out that my uh, stepbrother threw away my Christmas cards and I started crying because I thought that meant he didn't love me. So, yes, it can.
3: <laughs> I, I think it's important to point out that rejection sensitivity is not a diagnosis. Yeah. Rejection sensitivity is something, a, a component that can exist with a variety of challenges and yeah. diagnoses for a variety of reasons. And it, like Mitra very, very rightly brought up, it can also exist purely because of social factors. Yes.
2: Absolutely. And it can certainly also exist because, you know, say you're really struggling with chronic health, which means you can't commit to go and do things. And then people stop asking you to do stuff. And then you start to feel really rejected. And that makes sense. Right. So think about all of these different contexts. So, yes, if you have a child who's clearly struggling with school, you bet they sometimes feel or experience some rejection. Um, and that it's really worth then discussing it um, with teachers or with the kid and see what's going on because there are a variety of reasons we might experience rejection. We're just trying to dislocate this idea of being sensitive to rejection from purely being something that's somehow specially associated with ASD and ADHD because that's just not true. Mm-hmm. And I, don't, you know, I think it's really important not to sort of locate this sense of rejection within the person who's already struggling mm-hmm. in their yeah. life context. Yeah, and it feels really fair unfair to place a label on them that somehow, because they already have a number of things going on or diagnosis, whatever, that now it's somehow their fault that they're feeling greater rejection or that they're thinking about it, you know, in this way, or that they're super sensitive to it. Like, come on, that's their life experience. Who and it, it, be? Feel,
3: yeah, you, it feels disempowering in a lot it of respects vary. and it puts a yeah. lot more onus on us when we're already, when we're already told, Hey, you're already screwing up. Mm-hmm. Yep.
2: Oh, and it also makes it more difficult to ask for additional supports.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Because if you're already mm. feeling like you're taking up space or that, yep. you know, you're, you're, you should get your act together. How on earth is it then easy to say, hey, um, this is kind of what I'm dealing with and I need a little extra time to do the assignment or whatever. And then you're accused of narcissism and maybe being special. Not speaking of myself or anything here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see here. Um... Let's do let's do a uh, uh, CY Morgan CY Morgan says, um, how can I and uh, my neurotypical husband work together to reach that kind of trust? And I think that was talking about with Dr. B and uh, Jessica. Mm.
3: Um.
1: Well, I mean, as
3: always, I'm going to suggest that that you find that you can find somebody who can speak to your direct circumstances, because that's not something that we can really mm-hmm. give you direct advice on. Um, I, I i can just tell you from my own personal experience that what worked for me and of course that may not work for other people because you know this is just me um what, what helped me is just having trust and enough praise that somebody that i could trust that if they're criticizing an action i'm taking they're not criticizing me yeah
2: see and that's something you can check out with your partner i would say but again um not knowing your circumstances, it's kind of tough to say. Um, if it comes to it, you know, there are mental health professionals who work with couples yeah. and who can do a great job teasing these different, the different factors that might yeah. be coming into play in your life and and give you support through that.
1: Yep. Um see let's do this question from crafty rebel uh, What's this up, was, crafty? uh this was on twitter so might not have uh been entirely true uh but i've heard of people being diagnosed and not being even told of the diagnosis which is messed up uh, uh messed up as heck yep. um how could anyone help themselves in that case <sighs>
2: You, I, I'm not sure of the circumstances in which people aren't told about their diagnosis, but I f- kind of feel like
1: well, that, that's yeah
2: n- not super ethical if you're not being told about. So it it's so you're sa- it sounds like if there's a diagnosis that you're not told but about.
1: Say say that like you just learned that you were di- like let's say that um I was diagnosed with ADD uh, when mm. I was a kid and nobody okay. told me, and then I found out later on um what steps would you say would be like i i best one that i can think of is like just start to do as much research as you can about it um like if was the situation with adhd just because videos on how to adhd is is a great resource of learning about what it is mm-hmm. um but yeah don't don't do that that's bad that's messed up
2: <laughs> yeah i think that's that's really not not a super helpful um if you, yeah, I think in terms of coming to terms with or making sense of a diagnosis, again, mental health professionals can help with this. Research can help. Um, uh, learning as much as you can, Jessica's videos, that kind of thing, just to mm-hmm. make sense of how a diagnosis is landing for you or whether it even was the appropriate diagnosis that makes sense to you and in, in your situation. It's really worth looking at that as well. Yeah. So.
1: Um, fortunately, I'm going to have to cut it off there because of time. Uh, mm. But who knows? Maybe we'll do another one of those uh, revisiting questions episodes. So uh, we we might get do your love those. Do love those. That was a really love fun those. one. So we might yeah. we might get to those questions at a later date. Uh, but yeah, that is that's uh, that's going to be it for our conversation. But uh, where can people find you on the interwebs if they would like to do so? Uh,
2: so people can find me at matroidjordan.com. Um, and certainly they can, are always welcome to respond to me on Twitter. Um, and I am available in both those places and Dr. B is available everywhere.
3: (laughs) I mean, I'm around. You're around. Available is a different question. Okay.
2: Available is a very different question. I'm going to say around (laughs) as well. Accessible. (laughs) Reachable. (laughs) How's that?
3: (laughs) Yeah, um, I mean, y'all can find me on most social media platforms at the Dr. B-T-H-E-E-D-O-C-T-O-R-B as in boy. But you know what's more important than following me on the Twitters as much as I appreciate that? Follow Take This on all the socials at Take This or go check out the kind of resources and mental health education that we have. i have got a variety of wonderful people working for us that do some just amazing, amazing work. Yeah.
1: The, the, Dimitra go? I yeah, goes first. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I, I'm, I'm sorry. I had a bunch of things popping up. Was I apologize? Hey, me <laughs> getting distracted. Who the thunk? Um,
2: <laughs> <laughs> Not me. I wasn't distracted at all. What?
1: <laughs> uh, you can sorry, find what? me. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at the Trevor. There is an A hiding in there, and the way too many <laughs> podcasts that I do. Um, so many. Yeah, and you can also find me anywhere the Idle Champions community is because I'm the community manager and I'm around there. Um, But uh, yeah, that is going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, Coming up directly after this is the triumphant return of Bardic Inspiration. Uh, We returned today. They returned today. It's a day of returns. Uh, So be sure to check check that out and stick around. Uh, But uh, yeah, that is going to do it for this week's episode. So until next week, episode two of season five, take care of yourself.
0: Champions of psychology is meant as education and entertainment. It is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling. Discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. We assume no liability for the use of the information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your own best judgment.